Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. Hey everyone, this is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and this is Brian, and today I am here with my longtime friend and associate, Murray Fredland. Hey Murray, how are you doing today? Really good, Brian. Glad to be here. Good, good. And how's the, how are you riding out the COVID virus? Oh, we're doing all right here. We've been adapting to working at home, and uh, we're in the process of reopening the office and getting everybody back to our a portion of people back to the office i should say so it's it's going all right good good yeah things are a little more dire down here in the states but i understand that you guys in canada clamped down a little bit more strongly and probably sooner than we did well i think the the somebody told me once that we've been practicing social distancing distancing in saskatchewan for the last 20 years <laughs> so i think that has a lot to play there's just not many people and we're really spread out to begin <laughs> right. with, so right. that helps things <laughs> yeah yeah for sure well, I, I suppose you could always wander over to moose jaw yes exactly oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty interesting names up here yeah right murray why don't you tell us a little bit about about yourself about your background well, let's see, I, I largely grew up, I was born in Saskatoon. I actually never really wanted to live here, but um, uh, you know, I, I, I found a wife here and we married and we had my parents here and it ends up being a, a great place to live here. But um, uh, grew up in Saskatoon, um, I really didn't understand what my father did. I would say that um, a lot of times when I was younger people would come up to me and, and kind of expect me to know something about unsaturated soil mechanics <laughs> before I even went to engineering school okay. and uh, assumed that we just talked about that over the dinner table or something like that and, and I, I was a somewhat clueless I would say about that we uh, I uh, ended up going to engineering because I, I like to figure out things I, I found I had a knack for uh, sciences and maths were always interesting to me and I enjoyed just problem solving I would say it was the bent in my personality so um, uh, but you know went through school engineering I actually came close to being mechanical and and oh. had uh, talked to another professor Lee Barber once I remember I talked to him and he said no you got to go into geotech because it's it's exciting and there's there's new problems that uh, we're trying to solve and it's very mentally challenging so that that convinced me and went into geotech and uh, most people think my father pressured me in some way, but he never, he did. He, he always encouraged us to go to school and get some kind of degree, but um, going into engineering was my own idea <laughs> for good oh, and bad. That, that is interesting, especially when you started out thinking you'd be mechanical, or do you say structural, sorry? Uh, mechanical, Mechanic. yeah. That was the close, close second. And I, I would agree with that advisor that geotechnical engineering is a very exciting field and has very large and complex challenges. Yeah, the way it was phrased is that you, you really don't know a lot of times what even the process is to solve the problem. You need to figure out the process and yeah. then solve the problem. 
Yeah. And uh, dad was always very big on, you know, he, he said, you're going to have an exciting career if you are able to use your mind and everything is not quite cookie cutter. You you're have to intellectually engage and solve problems. And he that was one of the big things he said. And that stuck with me. Yeah, and that's absolutely true. There, there's very little that's cookie cutter in geotechnical engineering. Yeah, that yeah. more so. That, yeah, over the years I've found that more so. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, so Murray, after you left school, you, you got your PhD, and wh- where did you go from there? Well, I uh, I got my PhD in 2000, and a combination of University of Saskatchewan and Texas A&M. I did some classes down south there, uh, which I really enjoyed that. Um, when I graduated, I explored briefly pursuing an academic career, but um, nothing uh, opened up in that area and uh, I what happened is I'd started a company in 1997 more as a hobby during uh, in my spare time and it it kind of plugged along for three years there and when I graduated we had enough revenue to hire myself and I started getting uh, more sales and work in the company so it just um, it, it kind of proceeded as one step at a time here and I could I could pay myself more than a grad student at that time, so my wife was happy with that, and so yeah. it worked out okay. Huh. huh? Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So the first first few years were um, uh, we what I had done is I had developed a database of unsaturated soil properties. Yep. And called it Soil Vision, and that was the name of the company. And I wrote that code myself. Uh, not sure if I should be admitting that, but I did it, <laughs> and I got it to the place where it had a user's manual, and it was it was commercial uh, commercial piece of software. But we realized at that point quickly that if I was going to do this, we needed to be serious about it, and we were um, uh, we knew that we were a one one horse uh, one horse show essentially. We had one product. And it was put us in a risky position. So we made the decision, I think around 2000, 2001, that we were going to branch out and have a suite of products in the geotech area. And so that was the first challenge we faced is hiring people and, and uh, branching out into other areas like finite element. Yeah. And then led to products. Our first one was seepage, uh, unsaturated groundwater flow. Then we had thermal and then stress and contaminant transport. Those were the, the first few packages we came out with. So that was that was actually pretty brave in a way because there was already competing softwares on the market. What what made you think that it's like uh, you know Starbucks and and other. <laughs> coffee companies i always thought this the market for coffee was saturated with starbucks but then along comes a whole bunch of others that fill in a gap that i didn't know existed yeah i um i that's a that's a great question i think some of it when i look back on it you know you you start a company and you really don't know all the outcomes like you you, you realize i had a background as an engineer not a business person um, you had to learn that on the on the job, and really, what we it was a very much what I would say as a learning process. Um, we started off just thinking that if you have a product, everyone will just buy it, and or if you have a web page, everything you know people will just come to your web page and you'll just they'll buy software, and then you have to go through that 
uh, thought process of um, somebody sat me down and really educated me on, well, what, what differentiates you? And why would people invest in your software when there are, like you said, other choices out there? Yeah. So you have to go through a thought process. What differentiates us? Uh, what makes us different? And, and some of the first thing was, is we were an early player in the 3D modeling world. So uh-huh. we had three dimensions where the, the market was largely two dimensions. And then we also differentiated ourselves in the area of unsaturated soil mechanics with the database. So that was a unique product that was, um, to this day, actually remains quite unique. Huh. So um, there was, we looked for those earlier, early differentiators and built upon those, I would say. And that culminated with uh, the release of SV Slope 3D in 2011. We released the 2D product in 2009, which again was, you know, it was, it was challenging to release a 2D product in a market that was, um, that had a lot of history of 2D modeling. But we found out when we did that, that, you know, the market is not actually saturated. There are people looking for a product that's a little different and uh, it can be sold. And uh, we released 3D, which was then a big differentiator uh, because really there was, uh, it was the first major commercial release of 3D slope stability limited equilibrium software outside of um, Clara. And uh, this that really set us apart. I would say the 3D slope stability in 2011 and opened up new opportunities to grow the company and to, um, uh, how do I say it, be valuable in, in the marketplace to clients. And we when we got out there and started talking to people, we found that there was interest and there were problems that could be solved that weren't solved by uh, traditionally commercially available software. And so we had a differentiator and yeah. we were able to leverage that into uh, grow market share. Uh, so I, I can't avoid this pun, Murray, but <laughs> when uh, when you're entering the market, you, you found that the market was unsaturated. Yes, it yeah. was uh, unsaturated. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. But I look back on it and I look at how did we do it actually? Because I, I honestly, we started the company. I, I mean, I had a product. I had, you realize, no customers. I had, didn't have a client list. And so we, like, we really were starting from scratch. I just started attending conferences and building a client list, meeting people, and um, at the same time learning how to differentiate ourselves and learning the, the business positioning of the software and, and everything like that. It was, it was uh, um, I think some of it you do out of not knowing um, <laughs> what you're doing wrong and you have blind faith that you're moving forward yeah, right. and you're learning as you go is the best I can describe yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I, if I had to go back and do it again, you would of course do it a lot differently. But that's part of the process. <laughs> you don't have a time machine, so you mm. can't go back and fix all the mistakes you made. <laughs> right, right. Interesting, interesting. It was a big leap, anyway. And and not too long ago, your business was acquired by another software company. Uh, yes, uh, Bentley uh, approached us, and uh, we had some discussions with them. In through, I would say, I, I believe it was. Uh, maybe late 2016 and 2017 had discussions with them and uh, we were looking to grow the business and uh, talking about methods of doing it and we started to realize with Bentley that this might be a good win-win for both of us to 
uh, move forward and Bentley was looking at having a footprint in the geotechnical market area. They're very big in infrastructure is their focus and they're, they're primarily yeah. a software company. And so they're very strong in, I mean, they have products like MicroStation and structural products like STAD and, and RAM elements and, and uh, a very broad offering in the area of uh, infrastructure. But they had in 30 years never really touched geotechnical. So they wanted to uh, have uh, the ability to have a footprint in geotechnical. And so they ended up buying us in July of 2018. And uh, pretty close to that, they also acquired Plaxis from Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. And Murray, a, a few months ago, I contacted you and I said, Murray, there, there are mining facilities that I'm aware of that have about a thousand vibrator kilometers in them and who knows how many slope stability cross sections and it would be a full-time job for at least one engineer to constantly update their slope stability models and with the time that it takes it wouldn't give them any kind of real-time information on what to do today and so I contacted you and I said Murray isn't there something in between your software and the data collection that goes on on site to take some of those painful steps out of there and and you kind of sat there and almost I, I picture you chuckling at me thinking Brian we're already on top of this and and you then you explained to me this interface that you've been working on so can can you describe that interface to me again uh, sure, and I, I'd say that that really came out of, I mean, uh, I have to credit my, my father for this, that he was always very big in um, when I watched him work and the way he worked with in the university and then the consulting environments, he said, you know, be useful to people, mm. solve a problem for them and um, be relevant and useful to what people are doing. And that really stuck with me in terms of this, because what, what we were going through at the time was we were building uh, how I would describe it is software that I understood that people should build is maybe um, you know like we were we were releasing software that was meeting the conformity of industry standards but then I, I started to realize in some of the, the jobs that we were looking at like you said that there is huge amounts of piezometer data that's available, uh, CPT data, uh, you know, slope in inclinometers, and it's almost like engineers view that as a separate category, that we are collecting this information and we have it, and then it's like they switched gears, I noticed, and then they made a numerical model, only a lot of times there was a bit of a disconnect between yeah. the two, and you have a large amount of data that is not really being successfully applied in the numerical model to set that up and what is the transition between those two and so that that got me thinking along the lines of how do we actually integrate that and fortunately we had come out with a, um, a geotechnical conceptual modeling software called SV designer which was more about uh, visualizing your site in 3D and, and uh, getting your geometry to all work together. And so it was more of an interesting project I threw to my programmers. I got some very 
uh, capable programmers and we developed an interface for pulling in all the piezometer and the CPT data and then visualizing it in 3D in, in multiple ways so that we can actually locate everything in 3D. We can plot, for example, um, the piezometer readings over time as little disks around each piezometer. So you get an idea from a static um, 3D plot of a 4D with time kind of uh, idea of how things are varying. And then you can subsequently take snapshots at times and then transition all the piezometer data to a three-dimensional uh, SV slope model. And that way we found the advantage of that is then you, you're really providing a, a, a defensible mechanism for moving your piezometer data and all of your field data that you've spent enormous time and money collecting and making it continuous into your modeling cycle. And that kind of what, that's what Bentley is very big on is, is digital twinning. Like the, the concept is that you, you bring alignment between reality and your computer model as close as possible. And so I think this kind of uh, moved us in a good direction. It was in alignment with uh, the, the directions that Bentley is going. And uh, we've used this on a few projects already and it's been very, very useful. I would say a great feature. Yeah, that's wonderful. And and with all the, the instrumentation that can be shot through telemetry to a computer somewhere, it just makes sense. You know, if you have a thousand pieces of instrument and you can read them an unlimited number of times per day, why why wouldn't you have pretty continuous slope stability analyses? I mean, it doesn't need to be every day, but it needs to be real time so that you can see what's going on. Right. And our ability all of a sudden in the last decade to just collect this information has skyrocketed. I mean, we've got, we can collect LIDAR data, the topology, we can collect real-time field instrumentation that is now being delivered up to cloud servers and can be delivered right to your desk within moments of when it's collected. And, and so we've, we've shortened the response time and we've got access to fantastic data. I think there's a real... Um, it, it, opportunity to capture that in slope stability software so that you're making you're linking the two and making use of data yeah yeah so are there places that have started adopting this new interface uh yeah we're getting good good feedback it's released and uh we're continuing to work on it but we've got some clients making use of um, this interface and using it on projects and we're getting great feedback from it so far oh that's wonderful yeah and it's pretty early days for this application too right yes it is it's just in the last um last year we've been really experimenting around with this uh, I'd have to check my records of when we actually released it, maybe uh, four to six months ago. So it's, it's this is all fairly new development. Right. No, that's great. Do you have any uh, case histories or success stories you could share with us? Uh, yeah, we do. We've had a number of key modeling projects and very interesting things over the years from the, I mean, the early days of we did a, a study for Molycorp on waste rock stability, and that was combined seepage and slope stability modeling of a waste rock pile that was uh, far more detailed than I ever could have imagined yeah. it would be when I got into the project. And uh, it, was, it was fascinating to see 
all the different aspects and how they were looking at long-term stability of a waste rock pile. Does it increase in stability or decrease over time, yeah. given yeah. all the processes involved? And um, it was quite a team of great experts involved there. We were, we were simply more involved on the modeling end of things. And, uh, but that, was, uh, that taught us a lot about real-world modeling is how I would say it, as opposed to just a nice little cookie cutter um, model that you get in a graduate program at, at university. This was all of a sudden real life and you're starting to realize it's a lot more complicated than I thought it would be. And how do we, how do we model this? And so uh, we've had a great clients, I would say, uh, working on models. Uh, we did a webinar with uh, John Foster from BGC who's been using the software to model some tailings dams and uh, just combining in his case it was interesting because he had the core of an earth dam that was the way it was constructed was twisted like a corkscrew through the earth dam it went from being inclined to more center centered on it and the surfaces then corkscrew uh, through the earth dam which creates a real geometry problem uh, and uh, for modeling it you can't just stack surfaces on top of each other to model this type of scenario and I, I you know what I threw this to our developers as a bit of a challenge and uh, I couldn't I was actually shocked they came up with a solution of incorporating <laughs> fully volume uh, how do you say it fully 3d volume meshes where you just define a 3d volume with a 3d mesh as an enclosed object and they made it work all the way through the front end to the right through to the limit equilibrium solver and the seepage solver. Interesting. And, uh, John was able to then make use of that and it able, enabled them to actually solve the problem where he couldn't before and, mm. and again make it closer to reality. So that was that was a nice win that I thought. When yeah. I started off on that, I thought, I don't know if we can solve this. Like this would be so much effort to solve it. I mean, you can solve everything with effort, but it's it sure. gets to be very prohibitive in terms of time and development times are more uh, can be more geological <laughs> right right yeah but and, my guys go ahead and speaking of waste rock facilities a lot of people would think that they're uninteresting from a geotechnical perspective but there was um, a handful or maybe a dozen waste rock facilities in Columbia that catastrophically failed and blowed as, as a liquefaction flow failure and I, I worked on a waste rock facility in Peru that flowed a half a kilometer, and it was not that large of a facility, so they can be very technically complicated for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, it, some of these things are, are not near as um, easy to yeah. replicate the processes as yeah. you think when you look at them. I, I remember going to... Uh, an oil sand tailings facility and we were looking at this facility I visited the facility for you know a, a few hours at the site and I, I realized that I came away and I, I had this idea uh, right away on what was happening what were the processes and what was going on and then I had to stop myself I thought you know what you've been at this site for four hours like this yeah. thing is is going to be going on for years Mm -hmm. You you really need to, I mean, you can't just form a visual uh, understanding of what's going on without seriously looking at every piece of information that is coming out of instruments and telling you what's actually going on in long, long periods of time. Right. So, but uh, 
Um, so it just highlights the need, I think, to, to be open and get the data that you need and discover what the real process is behind what's going on. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So yeah. I, I, I uh, interrupted you. You were, did you have another example to give to us? Or? Yeah, I think we've, we've uh, some of the interesting uh, projects, I know uh, uh, there's been some int very interesting modeling uh, being done by uh, Nevada Gold Barrack. Uh, Third Rock is doing a lot of interesting work in, in open pits that's been fascinating in terms of applying the slope stability in the area of rock mechanics and uh, Ken Mercer has been very helpful with with modeling some of those more complex interactions. Uh, HDR has been uh, doing some very interesting modeling of Oroville Dam using the software. Uh, Scott Anderson there and uh, it's just really interesting to watch clients pick it up and uh, pick the software up, be successful in what they're trying to do even though it's quite challenging. A lot of times you start the project and you're you're, uh, it, it appears quite challenging and then you get into it and when you get the solution and you're comfortable with it it's it's a great feeling and um, I guess more recently we've been involved in the Feijiao uh, forensic analysis of running a seepage model uh, of the site and it was it's been fascinating for me to to see the influence on flow regime and seepage on uh, tailing stamps and so that was that was very interesting work I found okay great no, it's, uh, yeah for sure it's always interesting I'm not, I'm not sure if the guys that work on the foundation engineering side of geotechnical engineering have quite such a um, interesting career as the people on the soil mechanics side but <laughs> yeah and and I, I think mining probably has the most interesting problems yeah, they're fascinating because you don't, you honestly don't know sometimes what the mechanisms are and what's going on. And it's a little bit of trying what, what you know and what aligns with, and I think this is um, what I find fascinating about the process. It's not like you just make a model and it tells you exactly what's going on. Sometimes it's a very iterative process where you make a model and it tells you what's impossible, what, what doesn't work at a site yeah. because yeah. it doesn't. You yeah. can't make the model bend to replicate the results that you're seeing here. Then you have to start to think about process. And am I modeling the right process? Or am I? is there something else that I'm missing? So it's yeah. a very uh, interesting and diverse pathway to uh, bring alignment between the field data, your model, and determining and trying almost like detective work of figuring out what works and what could be possible and what doesn't work at a site to yeah, uh, yeah. say, you know, after, especially after, you know, forensic analysis. So I find that part of it very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And I, I've, every time I try to outguess mother nature, mother nature makes a fool out of me. Yeah. So it's, yeah, you've, you've got to pay attention to the science and the engineering and the data that's available for you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Murray, we're just about out of time here, but did you have any more case histories that you could provide for us? Uh, there are, we're, there's a lot of ongoing work with people that, um, uh, that, that uh, we're excited about, I would say. Um, nothing that comes to mind specifically. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know what, we've had, I, I must say that we've had key 
interesting projects to work uh, on in key points in development of our our history. And uh, one of the key products was uh, brought to us when we were first released our seepage software. Um, we were trying to test out if it worked and mm. um, in 3D models and, and we're hoping for a nice simple 2D model. Well, uh, Maritz Reichardt from SRK approached us. Unfortunately, he passed away this last year, mm. but um, he uh, approached us with a 3D seepage model. He needed a 3D seepage model done to graduate because he, he went to his committee. Huh. It was a large tailings program and, and uh, program to instrument a tailings facility. He wanted to graduate and he had a job offer and they said, well, you got to model it. And, uh, <laughs> he already had a job issue, uh, a job offer yeah. and a start date. Yeah. And so he said, well, how long um, do we have to model this? And I think he said one week. And, uh, <laughs> so this is version 1.0000 of our software and yeah. we're trying to model a big 3d facility in one week <laughs> and uh, i remember being a little tense on that we got yeah. her done i think in two hours short of a week okay and it actually matched uh, i think within the flows out of the facility match within about 10 percent wow which was excellent match between yeah. the medical model that's it's a blind uh, a blind comparison uh, to a real-world study. We didn't know the flow results before we did the modeling, and he just told us afterwards, by the way, that you, you matched it pretty good. So it's stuff like that that we've had key interesting projects that have helped um, push certain features ahead of the software, and I really like that because it shows engagement with the industry. You're being relevant. You're being uh, consistent with the demands of industry and you're helping them solve interesting problems that are real world and that are they're struggling with so I've been very appreciative of our partners over the years yeah that's great and that's uh, it's really interesting to me how you're developing software is really in advance of the, maybe not the need but the the, the requirement yeah. So, I mean, if you have it, like, I keep going back to this thousand bosometer thing, you know, a consulting yeah. company might think, wow, I've got to have five full-time engineers just to keep on top of that thing. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of that comes from my father enjoyed the research end of things. and was very good at what he did, and I, I still enjoy pushing the limits of trying new technologies, applying things, seeing if we can push the limits and be a little more interesting in our approach to solving numerical problems in industry and that's I've really enjoyed that and had fortunately the opportunity to do that in in some interesting projects so I've really enjoyed that that's great I, I, I kind of wonder what your programmers think when you walk into the room with an idea and they're like oh, here, we, here we go again <laughs> the, yeah the reactions aren't always happy but uh, they're a good bunch and I am always continually amazed because I, I I was a programmer at the core but um, they they are doing some great work that I um, it's amazes me on how fast they're able to turn around things and get yeah. prototypes up and doing think outside the box and find creative solutions to do things I think that's um, there's a lot of credit that has to be given to them We've gotten yeah. fortunate to get really solid staff over the years. Yeah, that's 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 wonderful. And right before we uh, say goodbye, is there any parting uh, bits of wisdom you could share with us? Oh, um, I, I let's see if I can think about that. I mean, 
it's with modeling, I would say go simple to complex. Don't start complex. Yeah. <laughs> build the biggest model that we can and then uh, and then wonder why it's it's not necessarily working. There's a lot of wisdom in simple to complex. Start small, start in 2D, move to 3D, but don't be a, don't be scared of of pushing the limits and finding out um, the true processes and getting to the core issues and processes that are going on in in uh, numerical modeling. There's yeah, that's that that's great advice. I've got a friend a guy named Johnny Zahn who you probably know. Who he says yeah. the same thing. Don't don't start with the complex because you're not gonna it's not gonna make you understand it that way. Yes. Yeah. And Johnny's a great guy, and that's good advice. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, Murray, why don't you tell us your company's website address if somebody wants to go out there and look for your software? Yeah, it's uh, Bentley.com, and you can search for Geotechnical or Soil Vision or Flaxus. And uh, uh, we've fortunately got Kinetics and Gint in there as well, and it's yeah. uh, they're excited about releasing a new product called Open Ground. So all of that is up on the Bentley.com website. And uh, we'd be happy to answer any questions that any people might have about their particular application of the software. I think that's one of the neat things about being involved with Bentley is you're we're able to handle a lot of the workflow all the way from boreholes through to analysis in 2D or 3D in, in many different market areas. And that's what's fun and exciting about being part of the Bentley team. Okay, great. And if somebody wanted to get a hold of you um, directly or, or can they find that on the website? Uh, they, I'm not sure if they can find that on the website. My email is murray.fredland at bentley.com. It's pretty Okay, simple. that's easy. Okay. And I'll yeah, put that in the first show. And last name with a dot yeah. in between. Yeah. Okay. And I'll put that, both those in the show notes for this podcast. Yeah, Murray, I appreciate your time today and the insight that you've shared and the lessons that you've you've shared with us. And I wish you the best going forward and hopefully we can get this virus behind us one of these days. Yeah, exactly, Brian. And thank you for having me. I've enjoyed being on your podcast and I appreciate it. And thanks again and have a great day. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.